Welcome to a special bonus episode of Pod Like a Hole, uh, your favorite podcast where three lifelong friends, Mark, Steve, and Eric, well, we get together and we, we dissect our favorite artists album by album, track by track. Season one, we did Nine Inch Nails. Season two, which we just finished, we did David Bowie. And uh, this special bonus episode right now is just something to fill the time in between seasons two and three, but it's a little more special than that because we have somebody very, very special here today. And, you know, every time I get out of that downward spiral, something pulls me back in and um, couldn't be happier uh, for the reason and the person we have here today to discuss that. Um, So we have a, uh, a new book was released recently, diving into... Uh, the Downward Spiral, which, if you remember, was my personal favorite Nine Inch Nails album from season one, and um, one we all hold near and dear. And um, very recently, a, a book came out exploring the history of the album, the uh, analyzing the themes, and looking at the aftermath. And it's a book called Into the Never, written by Adam Steiner. And it's, I can't recommend this book enough. I just finished it yesterday morning on the exercise bike. Don't worry, Adam, it was the digital version. No, you know, sweat and steam of of personal improvement got, you know, warped those pages. Um, And uh, and it's, it's incredible. So welcome, Adam. We are happy to have you here today. Hello. I'm thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm I'm happy to be here. Also, on on that note, I think um you know given the topic, I think in some ways the more fluids, uh, the more bodily fluids and stuff um, <laughs> kicking into this text, the better because it's um it is that visceral you know living beast uh, slash machine of an album, uh, which is what I tried to get across in the book. So you know yeah, sweat, tears, blood, um you know. Uh, synaptic fluid, you know, whatever else, um, you know, to, uh, yeah, to, to, <laughs> to yeah. lubricate the process. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, a deep and, thought, obviously. And I'll tell you, when I used to work at the, at the record store, the used record store, we'd buy uh, used copies of the CD and the crust and grime on, on, on the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the pack, the human teeth that would roll out of their grocery bags as they brought their records in. Um, <laughs> You know, yeah. I can I can say it was uh, yeah. I think that's a fair, that's an astute observation there. <clears throat> there's, some, there's some untold stories there, isn't there? Um, <laughs> dirty dirty CDs and and what they were used for or not. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, uh, Adam, where where are you calling me from today? Uh, I'm calling from uh, the UK. Uh, for now, it's the UK um, in uh, London. So yeah, London calling if you have it. Oh, um, sure. And yes, well, so I will. I will have it. Thank you. <laughs> it's uh, circa eight PM here, um, whereas I believe you're bright and bushy tailed in around twelve noon. Yeah, lunch, um, so lunch yeah, break. Lunch, noon. lunch break interview. I like it. Yeah, like and it. and lunch for you, Guinness for me um, for now. Fantastic. That's a that's a good idea. That's mm. a good idea. Doesn't get much darker. <laughs> well. Um, You've you've uh, just released a book, Into the Never, and um, and I think it's great. Oh, let me turn that sound off. My goodness, how unprofessional! And uh, <laughs> you you clearly know your stuff. And I I have to imagine you weren't just 
clicking through, you know, best albums of 1994, and you said, oh, that, I'll write a book about the downward spiral. You seem to come from a, a point of fandom on, on this one. Is that, is that true, or are you, are you a, a Nine Inch Nails Yeah, fan? That's, that's a really good question. Um, I like to think I'm, I'm sort of 30% hack, 70%, you know, genuine um, heart and soul fan. I mean, I think like you say, it's, it's really interesting. We talk about 94, especially really big um, year in a really big decade for albums um, and 94 in particular for, you know, rock and metal and alternative. So there was so much going on anyway. So, you know, if you were to like, kind of like throw a dart in that direction and say, well, I hit um, a really challenging, interesting, provocative album. Uh, I think there's a lot of targets where that could land. But I mean, for me, when I looked, when I stepped back and sort of looked at it, like culturally, I was like, I was amazed there wasn't a big book written about this album already. Um, and I was partially inspired. Uh, I might waffle on about this later. So if I do go too far, you know, hit the, the stop button or something or eject or whatever it needs to be um, and you know, turn me off. Um, but there was an album um, by a Welsh band uh, called the Manic Street Preachers uh, called The Holy Bible. Uh, and it's it's as sacrilegious as it sounds, but it's um, a sort of post-punk, almost industrial thing made by a band that started out as like a um, a clash between um, sort of the anger of hip hop and um, like the feverish guitars of punk and um, Guns N' Roses and almost sort of glam rock. So those sort of worlds coming together um, into this crazy protest music but um i was gonna ask you about them because i had known the name and and i had a question later about them but i think now's a good time no no no. i think now's a good time if this is if this was your kind of if this if if i remember you mentioning them in your book and it seemed like Mm. they played they maybe played a big part in you discovering downward spiral or at least appreciating it more so i think now's a good time as any to kind of dig into it because i had known them but i'd never listened to them and i did listen to that album on your uh (laughs) <laughs> or at least I could tell in your writing that you that you really did appreciate it, and I was pretty blown away. I gotta say, it was yeah, it was pretty yeah. great. But yeah, go go on a little bit. I I'm kind of curious. Yeah, on sure. The, uh, the so, kind of sister cousin band, or at least album that that that, that Holy Bible is to. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll pull in the first question as well because I realise as usual I meandered a bit, but it's okay. We're, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna join it together. That's um, the show. That's the format. <laughs> Where does it go from here? And um, up, up. Um, so yeah, the uh, the Holy Bible. Um, yeah, as you say, kind of like sister kind of album. And I think um, if you want to indulge the um, special relationship, uh, you know, the in the US you had the Downward Spiral, and in the UK you had the Holy Bible, and it's two really almost kind of like anti-everything records that are a harsh listen, but also have their own strange, twisted version of um, melody and harmony. And there's a lot of musical insight there, but they're just so um, fucking angry. And like they're angry all the time and everything and it's internalized, but it's also externalized at the world. So there's no, 
seeming um, resolution or compromise. There's no compromise. And that's kind of what I love about both those records. They have that like, um, it's not just one punch, it's a left, right, uh, you know, coming at you really fast because they're both um, refusing to kowtow to taste or what the listener might necessarily enjoy. And yet in their own way, they're both really tuneful, but in a really fucked up, powerful way that other albums just aren't. And other people, I think, would be way more willing to compromise to perhaps um, shoehorn in a few hits and say, let's give them something, let's throw them a bone. And I think for some people, with um, the downward spiral, that would be closer, obviously, and to a later extent, hurt. Um, but with the Holy Bible, especially, um, it's so caustic and so kind of like, it's like it's on fire already. And then it's kind of like pouring gasoline or petrol, if you will, um, back onto itself just to make the flames jump that bit higher. So um, yeah, the, the downward spiral jumped out for me um, when I was a teenager, along with the Holy Bible, because I was, I was looking for re records and music that was like challenging and spoke to me about um, my own challenges with uh, mental health, which is so common to teenagers. And I talk about this a bit in the book, obviously, but um, it's that time where the brain is developing you're working out um, your self-identity, which you know, in many ways um, is a form of self-creation. And so you're trying to find yourself um, within the world, but then also you're growing up and you're maturing. So you're exposed to and beginning to appreciate um, some of the many horrors that are present in the world alongside beauty. But uh, if you let it, the, the horrors can kind of overwhelm you and um, cancel that out so you're understanding that the world can be a very dark place and it's that kind of point where um, you break from let's say childhood if it was generally happy and positive which for some it is um, you're breaking into the world of the adult where you have to learn to live with um, those negative forces and so you're living through compromise and I think in a way um, that's what both those albums do they're they're forcing you to um, come and see, if you'll indulge the biblical expression uh, and the movie, my God. Um, uh, and, you know, you're just understanding how real, uh, how real things can be and how extreme um, human behaviours can go in lots of different directions. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's like that's a common thread for me between the two records. They both blew my mind in a slightly different way. One's anglicized, uh, you know, even like the phrasings and stuff, but then the downward spiral, you know, you could say it's a very American record, but it's not like, um, you know, uh, it's not like Americanized, like Jimi Hendrix might be, or um, I'm trying to think of examples now, Tom Petty or something, you know? Sure, yeah, that's, like a, good, that's a good example, yeah. There's no Americana there. It's kind of, it kind of fulfilled a lot of what happened in the 90s with the sort of like, you know, more of like pushing people towards that death of the American dream feeling, um, yeah. which kind of got typecasted as the whole big like, you know, Generation X thing. Um, and then obviously, I think there's a counterpoint to... Um, Nine Inch Nails at that time, you had Nirvana. Um, and that was such a big, significant deal for so many people. You know, it, it kind of smothered everything. And all of a sudden, everyone was sort of 
down on things because they'd had a hit of Nirvana and it was so strong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. that's, that's for me for sure. Nirvana was like the first band that I got into where it was my own choice and idea to get into a band, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And, and it wasn't necessarily inherited, right? From you right, know, your folks. Right. And, and, and then, and then, you know, when he died that re I remember the day and it really hit me. And, um, mm. and actually I don't think anything impacted me as much as until I got into Nine Inch Nails, which only happened a year or two later. And because um, I, I got into Nine Inch Nails right around, right after this came out. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think those, those would be my big two as well. And, um, but going back to your Manic Street Preachers, I, one thing that cool. I got first listen, never even heard the band before. <laughs> yeah. I, I have my American idea of what Britpop is because I like a lot of it. And oh, sure. um, yeah. my, my yeah. wife likes, likes a lot of it. And we, I think I know what it is. And I kind of went into Manic Street Preachers expecting, you know, some of that, which is, you know, in a way, garagey guitar rock, but with a little cutesiness to it. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um and and danceability which i mean i love you know your blur, your blurs and your pulps and yeah and, yeah and your uh, suede's but uh but this was different this was a little sloppier and it was angrier and it mm. was <laughs> it lacked it lacked hope it lacked hope and and i mean that in in a, in, a, <laughs> in the same way i mean that about downward spiral even though yeah. downward spiral ends with a possible like at least a regret of hope while mm. uh while um you know but one th sonically, there were some similarities, although I, I uh, you know, it, it definitely take, took me reading your thing to kind of connect those, but like the use of vocal samples and kind of like um, some noise used under the rest of the band to kind of mm -hmm. give, it, give it some more of that layer and that more grit. Um, but that album was really cool. So I just wanted to give you a personal thank you for uh, turning me on to that because that's, that's, that's a cool one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for the nod to the Mannix because... Um... It's, they're a really important band for me. And they have a really interesting story, but they never broke in America. Um, the first album, Generation Terrorists, great title, uh, was 91. And they said, um, yeah, we're going to sell, they had big mouths on them in interviews. It was fantastic. They said, we're going to sell 20 million copies. And if we don't, we'll just fucking break up. Uh, <laughs> and of course they never did. But um, uh, they they <laughs> they kept going. I mean, now they've probably sold way more than twenty million cumulative, but that's not the point. Um, they it was such a like a guitar Guns and Roses sort of sound, but like I say, with some of the attitude of um, Public Enemy, um, it was a weird mix, and it just never latched on in America. Even though um, James Dean Bradfield is an excellent guitarist, and you don't necessarily hear those kind of more classic rock flourishes on a record like um, the Holy Bible. Because like I say, it's much more post-punk and angular. It's like um, Public Image Limited, Metal Box, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's really sad that they never kind of made it big in that way. But <clears throat> they have a really long, complicated lineage. Uh, and I, I really want to mention there's a great book about that album. I think I refer to it a bit in my book um, called Triptych. And it's, um, it's three different perspectives on the Holy Bible and kind of drawing together all its massive like cultural political sociological artistic references there's so much in that book it's like an intellectual sorry the, the book and the album it's like an intellectual powerhouse mm -hmm. um and it's really interesting because the downward spiral 
is in some ways the opposite of that it's <clears throat> it's anti-intellectual it's like it comes from the heart and the gut and a, a really troubled mind so i really appreciate the fact that these two records like they kind of have a you know a bit of a symbiosis to them but they approach it in such a different way and it's great because you get a really different experience and the lyrics are so different um the manics rely on loads of references to the external world and um you know obscure political figures and stuff like that dictators and tyrants and all kinds of crazy stuff um and then the downward spiral is mainly about this sort of narrator character in this inter this really rich internal world which you know we all basically have within us like as shallow as you think a person might be they've got their wants their needs their desires their disappointments um and i think like with the album resner created a very um rounded you know sense of a person and all those conflicting things that can go on within the mind uh and that you know that was a really great achievement whereas the manics are just kind of like more like fuck the world everything's <laughs> fucked <laughs> I, I love their their song title like if white america was honest for one minute their world would fall apart or something like, that's that's the mm -hmm. name of a song on that holy bible it's great yeah yeah <laughs> and there's there's lots of interesting stuff with that one um uh at the end of the song it's um it's saying fuck the brady bill uh which is a thing from back in the well yeah of course the early 90s um which was about gun control and the band even though they're very hard left-leaning socialist almost communist um which i know might turn some people off haha <laughs> but um they're <laughs> they're you know they're really hard left-leaning with that song they're actually saying fuck the gun controls because it would disempower um poor black americans who might use guns uh to defend themselves from their fellow white americans and the police state so really contentious heavy stuff and not what you'd expect from the band so even as they're saying we're very right on and we demand social justice there's also a really um really dark <clears throat> really dark streak to that kind of music and obviously resner has his own kind of touch on um guns and uh, how do we put it gun culture and masculinity yeah. Yeah. um with big man with a gun so I, obviously i kind of compare those two things in the book but they're really yeah. different things and um well your, your your kind of expression on the brady bill right there uh just wanted to to connect it that's a big thing sure. for uh rapper killer mike who's part of run the jewels who's big we're uh, the whole okay. show's a big fan of them and it's kind yeah. of it's kind of controversial because gun control is super divided here in america but i think that that is a good mm. it's a it's a perspective that shouldn't be written off because it, it is different than what a lot of anti-gun control people stand for and yeah uh, yeah and that's interesting and I, yeah and and from cultural background you know i came into this with a lot of um naivety i was you know kind of trying to research and learn as i went because as you say it's so contentious and we don't really have those debates in the uk as far as we get is um should the police be armed and mm -hmm. generally a lot of people say no and i think a lot of police officers say no because for them, it would mean if we're armed, the people that were basically trying to arrest sometimes or the people that were maybe trying to crack down on serious crime, they're all going to tool up as well. And that's another big thing of the debate. I mean, obviously, we probably don't want to get into too far, too far into all this stuff. Not because <laughs> it's contentious, because it's huge. And that's, it's that's, so, an hour, that's an hour uh, right there, at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's a really different thing in America than the UK. But obviously... I touched on it in the book, but the, um, the Manix track, uh, 
it ends with um, the line. Uh, it's a it's a quote from a really old gun um, advertisement back in the days of the Wild West, I believe, um, uh, from Sam Colt Colt Revolvers mm-hmm. uh, Six Shooter, and it's like um, uh, if God made man. Um, yeah, if God made man, then Sam Colt made him equal, <laughs> which is a fascinating concept. Because part of me is like, is that equal to God, the power of life or death? Or is that equal um, man to man, so to speak? Because you can right. kill me and I can kill you. <laughs> so somehow that's all going to hang together and that's all going to work. Uh, um, I wish common... No, you're good. I wish common uh, advertisements were that, uh, that bleak. Uh, that's pretty great. But, just uh, honest as well yeah. <laughs> it's like it's really honest you know yeah. like someone's gonna get killed for this you know uh, right. <laughs> it's not gonna end well for someone yeah. it's a well, gun you know right well one cool thing your book does is you split it up well you start with some background then you split it up and one chapter is a song from the mm-hmm. album in order and then the next chapter is something you know either related to the making of the album, like just looking at the samples and the noise work, or another chapter is just looking at, you know, the cultural impact of this kind of, you know, more like industrial nihilistic rock. And um, it's, mm. pretty, it's a great way to do it. So just like that, you know, I'm sure this interview will be us bouncing back and forth to, to the album and other stuff. So I, I enjoy that kind of that, that roller yeah, coaster. Yeah, cool. Bounce, bounce is good. Bounce is roller, good. Roller coaster narrative. So back to you a little bit here. Sure. Um, you, uh, so you did, you did write a novel before this, correct? Politics yeah. of the Asylum? Yeah. 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 What, what can we, uh, what can we say about that one? Oh, okay. Um, great question. Thank you. Um, yeah. really nice of you to ask. Uh, so yeah, that was, um, that was a book I spent uh, quite a few years writing. Um, you could say most of my early youth, <laughs> um, but like, you know, a big chunk of my twenties because um, I was at university uh, in Scotland. And then like um, you have similar things, I think in the U S where, you know, you have your kind of like summer holidays, which is ridiculous because you get a bigger summer holiday than a child does from school, but never mind. Um, so all these adults are kicked out of university Mm. for the summer and um out to you know fend for themselves in the world as we should do to be fair uh because you know uni is quite a um it should be a right but it's quite a privileged um yeah it's quite a privileged uh enjoyable experience and not everyone gets that so you know it's good to be out there doing other stuff for a change (laughs) rather than having your head stuck in uh, a load of books i was studying philosophy uh which is a pretty like like English and stuff, it's a pretty reading intensive thing. There's, there's only so many lectures because there's so much out there to learn and read and think about and literally sit there thinking. So I'm working my ass off here thinking, um, you know, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I um, my holiday, uh, my holiday job in the summers was, um, to go and work in a hospital as a cleaner. Um, so and it was kind of like day in, day out, like early starts, kind of like six o'clock into the afternoon, maybe come back in the evening, do some few more hours cleaning. Uh, and that was kind of like the summer and it just wrapped around around and around it got into like a bit of a, a spiral of its own you know and just sort of kept going and going and going and um I just built up so many um interesting experiences and weird happenings and they just kind of like sat in my subconscious and I think like a lot of um like art and literature especially it kind of just comes out really ideally it comes out really naturally because 
you've gathered together experiences and things in your mind and then um, they've been there and left to incubate and they mature into something new, something other. So you're not just saying this thing happened the other day and I wrote it down. You, you've got a slant on it. You've added more depth. You've thought about it. You've added creative elements. You've misremembered things. So the, the, the actual thing that happened has all shifted and changed and you've made something completely new from it. And that's kind of what the, the book was. It was um, an accumulation of all those weird, crazy things. And I kind of tried to push them as far as I thought was semi-reasonable <laughs> into this like nightmarish vision of um, a cleaner trying to make their way in the hospital, but the hospital sort of slowly, steadily falling apart. And obviously this, this is like using a really um, straightforward metaphor that, you know, the building as body uh, is sort of collapsing all around you and the staff are going a little bit insane and getting stranger and forgetting things and, repeating things because every day is kind of the same because it's a hospital you operate on one guy you operate on another person one person dies another person's born it's it's a really intense sort of cyclical environment and hospitals are weird because um they're always open more or less they're like open to the public and they stay open basically 24 hours because people are always getting ill or getting better and going home and stuff so the whole thing is kind of like a, an endless yeah, endless sort of churning um, of people and stuff. And I thought that was really interesting because you don't really get that in normal everyday life. And yet that itself kind of sits as a big um, metaphor for the, the, the cycle of life at large. I feel like I'm reaching beyond myself here, but you know, it was a book. And um, yeah, I, I just sort of like wanted to show some of the drudgery of it, but also some of like the crazy, intimate, fantastical moments you have of like, connection and disconnection with people um i worked a lot on a ward where there were older patients and i was in like kind of like early going towards mid-20s you know and i met like a a load of um interesting uh older people and some of them were quite ill and they're kind of like going nearer to death and then a few people died and so like even though I, I wasn't really close to these people i had quite a few odd little experiences of like death but um I wasn't necessarily connected or involved. I wasn't necessarily present, but one day the person was there, then they weren't there. You know, I went back the next morning for my next shift and they'd like passed in the night and things. So um, it kind of gave me a lot to think about <laughs> and had yeah. a lot of time to think because I was cleaning the same floors and the same toilets and stuff. And uh, yeah, um, I guess I got a lot of like, I feel I got a lot of like life under my fingernails quite quickly in a relatively short space of time. Um, yeah, it gives you perspective. So yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think so. I think so. And I, so I tried to sort of um, channel some of that into the book. Um, and I thought maybe, maybe that'll be of interest to other people. And I, I wrote it in a really strange sort of detached, um, what I would call a sort of modernist style, which people would generally like nail down as like stream of consciousness, which means kind of like bleh. Uh, and you get a kind of like direct feed from the brain, which is something you can do really well with music and um, express with music because you have like lyrics, but also the the emotional intensity of the music itself kind of um, sets that in context, if that makes sense. Whereas with like um, on the page, you, I think you have to kind of make it a bit more physical as well as immaterial. So it can be like how the lines unfold. So I had one section where it's kind of like, 
almost like one sentence you know and it's just like it's just endless it's the person thinking thinking about thinking then this happens something physical you know then they go back to the thought but they've forgotten it and then they're wondering who they are and it's like was i here the whole time so all these things kind of like you know spiraling around you um and i think it's a nice thing you can do with uh books especially uh to connect and disconnect really easily really quickly and doing that with language means you you're building up sentences which have sense and meaning and I kind of like read it and scan it and know what the person's on about but then you can also break down language which does happen it happens in our brains um it happens mentally mental states through you know drugs or mental illness or a knock on the head um and it happens in communication like sometimes we try to talk to the people and um our version of normal isn't their normal or our version of sympathy to them is cold so humans kind of like knock against each other and get into conflict and confusion and things because language kind of breaks down it's very sort of i guess that's kind of like a very william esperus thing isn't it um yeah he said like language is a virus um and i think a broad stroke of what he was trying to say with that is that um a language fails us but b we also kind of rely on language so it's uses and abuses as we're seeing more recently these days with um alternative truth you know and mm-hmm. uh what's what's the other term it's like it's not flexible facts i can't remember but you know oh, like, <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's, it's it's like alternate facts yeah yeah everything's everything's alt you know it's altered it's not quite what it seems or this is you know the manic street preachers have an album um that's uh, named after a quote from um uh welsh politician who was once um the was he the prime minister oh my god i should really know this never mind a welsh politician called anurin bevan who um basically helped um set up the nhs he kind of had the idea for it um and the great line one of his many great lines from his speeches is um this is my truth tell me yours and it's that thing about you know books can push us away and throw us off completely um or they can reach out directly and communicate to us really clearly but um they they have that kind of power language has that kind of power over us um so i guess that's what i was trying to like learn and understand through learning to write because you know so many people first book it's kind of it never does very well for lots of people you know and it, it tends to be sort of dross and then when they've done like 10 novels or something which I wouldn't necessarily do I don't think I'll live that long uh, but they do like 10 books or something and they look back and it's like the first one oh yes that was my early juvenile work is completely written off you know it was rubbish and other people are like actually you can kind of see the seeds of where you're going to go with this great example mm. is some um, like Kerak no one talks about the town and the city i haven't read it uh, i think it's i think his manuscript was a thousand pages or something so on the road was on a scroll cheating uh but you know the town and city was this massive huge doorstop of a book um so yeah for for me it was that kind of process um and then to go from that to do a non-fiction book about some sort of crossover themes and similar ideas was really interesting Yeah, I I ca- I mean I I'm kind of catching that as you're t- as you're talking and I think there is a through line of of 
philosophy through what you're, how you're describing your first book, uh, which I, I, I hope to read someday. Yeah. And then what you did with uh, your downward spiral, you know, analysis, cause you do get, you know, there's a lot of stuff from, I think you've probably read every interview from that era. <laughs> and um, I know you did some, <laughs> some like personal interviews with people and then you just, yeah, yeah you yeah. just pulling a lot up out of like, you know, just, just really digging into the themes and, and, and looking for like the, the philosophy of the album and um, which I appreciate. I tried to like use some of my like my background learning like so people like Nietzsche and Camus come up a lot um, and they're real like I tried to use some of that but not like overload the book with loads of philosophy for the sake of it you know like philosophy as applied to the downward spiral because I wouldn't read that that sounds really boring to me <laughs> um, sure. yeah. I tried to just grab the stuff that was there and you know they're really they're both two really like visceral engaging powerful creative writers they made philosophy um very accessible and very not boring um doesn't mean they're necessarily like the best philosophers but philosophy tends to stay within its little world and those guys really through you know Camus novels as well especially um and and Nietzsche's like writing style with all yeah. these what we would almost call like slogans and catchphrases you know you can paint them on a wall and they sound fucking great you know they yeah, look great. I, yeah um, i mean i took a existential class and okay, i, was, yeah, I yeah. was really obnoxious after i took that class for a little while but <laughs> sure sure i think we all were yeah yeah and maybe but, still are a little yeah, bit yeah you know. but those two jumped out and maybe, maybe start start you know start yeah, or, yeah sure. jumped out but uh yeah as far as like just general accessibility and like you know if i'm feeling what I'm learning and I'm trying to explain it to somebody, I'd probably pass one of their books over, you know, or an S, you know, something over first, uh, an excerpt yeah. than, uh, than maybe anything else. Yeah. And they're really approachable. And like what I think is important about their philosophy in general, they're kind of like guides to living. Um, not necessarily like thou shalt do this or that, or, this is good, this is bad. They kind of, for me, they kind of elevate above that, especially Nietzsche. <laughs> um, but they, you know, they just look at life in very real, almost day-to-day -day terms. Um, and, and, and break it down. And a lot of philosophy doesn't necessarily do that. It goes more esoteric. It, for me, it kind of goes from reality to what we all kind of take as the norm, even though we know it's not necessarily actually real and there's a lot that's perspective based and so on and Nietzsche and Camus like give you like new ways to think about it and I, I really enjoy that and they're both so um even though they're both kind of dark or like challenging they're both so vital um and there's that's uh, that's the weird thing about the downward spiral as well it's like you mentioned it with like um hurt and so on it's really it's really down and quite depressing on the surface. And I think for a lot of people on first listen, it's so abrasive. They're like, ugh. It's that almost like disgust type reaction of tasting something bad and caustic and noxious in the air. But um, if you give it a chance, it, it confronts you and it encourages you to 
challenge yourself in the same way that I think Camus and Nietzsche do. Um, so that's why I thought like the kind of stuff they said, um, and even to some extent the way they live their lives, it sort of resonated with kind of what's happening um, on Reznor's album, because um, it's people who um, they're kind of going through hell, but they keep going uh, <laughs> in spite of everything. They try right. and find a new way to live. Um, and, and for Reznor especially, you know, it's about being creative and just working through things in a creative way. And I think that's like a, such a constructive way to live. And, you know, there's a lot of privilege to being an artist, especially someone who can um, be successful in some way and afford to be. <laughs> um, right. You know, that, that, that's kind of the, the great challenge and the great adventure, I think, of being an artist. And, you know, they sort of, it sort of encourages you to perhaps live your life a bit creatively. Not that you have to write stuff and things, but you can perhaps be creative in your perspective to things and questioning things. And perhaps there you're living like a slightly more, oh, sounds pretentious as fuck, but here we go. Uh, yeah. You're living like a slightly more, you know, vital existence. Um, and, you know, to, to give a nod as well, I think, um, you know, Bowie, um, I'm a massive Bowie fan as well myself. Uh, I think Bowie like had such an interesting life, but he really challenged himself. And he kind of just didn't sit still and he evolved and he, he zigged and he zagged, you know, and then he maybe zagged again <laughs> because he fucking could. He didn't have to go back to a more commercial zig. Oh, what have I done? Um, yeah. yeah. So um, I think the philosophy kind of came up quite naturally through the album. And I was like, oh, I've got to put some of this in the book because it's too good. You know, it's too good to miss. Yeah, no, definitely. Um yeah, speaking of Bowie, uh, just remind, just back to your uh, your kind of your, your asylum experiences. Uh, that's how sure. he uh, that's how he and Brian Eno uh, prepped the Outside album. <laughs> they started by uh, okay. by hanging out at you know the 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 mental health ward at a hospital um, and just interviewing people. And I think so. I, a lot <laughs> of it didn't wind up on the album, but I think a lot of the um, the crazy ranting, like little segues in between songs mm -hmm. came from some of that came from that, that, that kind of first, like uh, first exploration. That's really cool. I didn't know that. I mean, I, I um, personally, I think like a lot of people, I skip the segues. However, um, you know, I really <laughs> like, I really love one outside. Um, and I didn't do loads of research into it with the book. I sort of glanced on it because it's, there's kind of better stuff out there about it, you know, and there's maybe, there's maybe more stuff to be written about that over time, especially about what he was talking about and where we're at now, sort of like a postmodernist car crash hell. But um, you can, I think from what you're saying like, with, their, with their research and the segues, even though people like me skip them, lazy buggers. That's um, what I say. That, that, yeah, yeah, that mood and that vibe and that um, energy, if you like, it's there in the subconscious, it's in the DNA of the album, it's in the vibe and the mood of the songs, because they're like tetchy, and distorted and diffracted and splintering and you know you're not really sure who's singing to who about what uh never mind the overarching plot um you know it's it's like it's a really interesting record and you put it on it's like it's not one thing you know it's not like it's not bowie does goth it can kind of feel that way sometimes but i mean overall it's 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 loads of different stuff and it's still very Bowie. So I thought it was like a really, really cool, interesting album. 
that was my intro to Bowie because I mean I know oh, I knew I, well, I, I guess Labyrinth was, but I had uh, a <laughs> yeah. Labyrinth the one outside, which is yeah. which is which is not a bad place to start. But I, I you know I was gonna go. I was going to see him with Nine Inch Nails in concert. And so my dad, who was going to take me, bought Outside, which just came out. And, and so that was, I'll just say that was, the fir- that was the first one I like dug into, like of my own volition. And, 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 and so it, it's, I ranked it really high. It's like my number three album or something by Bowie. And it's all, it's mostly yeah, nostalgia, yeah. but there's some great songs on there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and like I listened, you know, you guys um, talking like, was it over... The two episodes, it was maybe like sort of three hours worth of chat or something about scary monsters. Oh God, um, yeah. <laughs> we went, we went, its anniversary. we went crazy for that <laughs> one. We, its, yeah. yeah, that's having its anniversary now. But that's definitely one of my favorite Bowie records, you know. And I think you guys were sort of, I think a couple of you guys are saying like it's maybe my my top one. And I was like, fucking hell. But I, I totally get that because um, it's it's really intense and it's really rocking. And um, Robert Fripp on there is just fantastic, and it has so many great songs and so many hits still. Um, same with Bowie albums we talk about them like we, we sometimes talk about them in like a really brush away offhand manner so oh yeah there's a couple of hits on there and they were massive songs oh fucking hell yeah I forgot about that but it's a really good album in itself and um, that's the album I believe uh, that was Reznor's first Bowie album if you think generationally and stuff that was the one he kind of picked up first um, which I thought was fascinating because he always talks about the downward spiral in reference to things like Low Right, maybe heroes, not so much lodger, which is awkward. Um, but you know, I think I mentioned in the book. He he said like Scary Monsters is actually his sort of first Bowie record, and I was like, that's intriguing because it's really different. Um, from what yeah, you might I I can see it. I can I can see it because um, it's it's the next. It's the perfect bridge between the pop Bowie of the eighties with the avant-garde boy of the seven like of the berlin right and it's it's mm. he want he you can tell he wants to return to some more traditional songwriting but he still wants to use all the cool tricks and loops and 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 uh you know synth work and and noise work that he was doing in berlin and so yeah, yeah. every song feels super layered and has a lot going on um <clears throat> but everyone has a melody you can tap your toe to and and, and hum to so yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's 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 like utterly tuneful, um, even though it's kind of kind of heavy again. Like so many Bowie records are really dark, and um, you just don't you don't necessarily hear it on the first listen. You kind of gloss over it in your mind. Like um, you go back to um, the man who sold the world, it's 1970, 1970 or 71. Oh fuck! I feel like I should know this. Never mind. I think it's 70. I think, then, I think yeah, you're right, but I, I should I should know it too, but I don't. <laughs> Shouldn't we all? Um, I thought, what the hell are we doing here? Get out. Um, so yeah, uh, like the man who saw the world, you know, it's totalitarianism, it's madness, um, it's it's uh, like um, psychosis, um, identity crisis, you know, it's all sorts of crazy things going on. And that kind of runs for me, 70 to 80, it's kind of the Bowie golden decade. It's an easy thing to say, but he didn't really put a foot wrong for 10 years. And if he'd quit after um, Scary Monsters, you know, we wouldn't necessarily be the worse off. I'm not knocking Let's Dance and stuff necessarily. I'm just saying that decade was amazing. Um, truly was golden years. But, um, you know, it's just like he always had that dark streak going through everything, you know, like Ziggy Stardust, mm-hmm. the poppy one that has like somewhere over the rainbow on it. 
you know, the first song, five years, is like, by the way, the world's going to end in five years. Yeah. And now, in 2020, we're like checking our watches, like, oh, Bowie was kind of right again. Oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing stuff. Um, and yeah, like you say, Scary Monsters, it's like, it's really bopping, it's groovy, it's sort of new wave. He borrows like the Joy Division echoey drum things as well. Um, mm-hmm. Martin Hannett's sound holograms, as he calls them. You know, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, so just... Uh... I got some bullet point, like just talking points here, um, <clears throat> things Great. that I wrote down as I was as I was reading, and uh, you can chime in if you if you have anything to add. But just things I, I appreciated. Um, oh, sure. Was uh, I did enjoy one of your tangent chapters was on kind of the gun gun violence in uh, in schools and how it was kind of blamed on Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails, um, and just yeah, being yeah. I was I was a senior in high school. When Columbine happened, and oh, wow. uh, okay. and so that was like, it was just something. It was so real to me because I that could have been any any school, you know, in a, in, a, in America, and yeah. any town in America could you know have, you know, the same. It, it, it's so it's so quaint though to look at a time when you blamed art and media for that when it's like. You know, now I feel I feel like everybody knows. No, it's a it's a mixture of uh, you know lack of accessibility accessibility to mental health care and over accessibility to guns, and it's just whether or not you actually care about that. <laughs> that's what the debate is now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, it, it's like you say. Um, we can look at things like climate change as an analogy. It's like. Um, really hard thing i think for all of us especially like given how complicated and dense our modern lives are um you know oh i hate like um the rainforest being cut down for mcdonald's so they can graze beef for you know what is ultimately really poultry kind of non-food um even though we all kind of enjoy mcdonald's there's one example um but like uh you know we all want to drive our cars like we need our cars sometimes we have children we have a dog you know we want to go to like an obscure part of the mountains, you know, I need a fucking car to do this. And it's like, oh, but I'm, I'm totally up for climate change and everything else. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we have to live with um, really crazy contradictions and stuff in our lives. And um, yeah, guns, guns in America in particular is one of those. And obviously people take it from, um, I believe it's the second amendment. Um, Correct. About the, the right to bear arms. Obviously, the debate over that is whether it was against foreign invaders, i.e. me, the British, coming <laughs> at you. Um, <laughs> would you, would you, would you please get that started again? I'd be, I, I think we're, I think I'd be okay with that. If you, if you wanted to start that, the reverse revolution, that'd be great. Do you know what, <laughs> to throw, um, to throw a really difficult spanner in the works there. Um, we've, you know, we've got Boris Johnson as president oh. and he's got fucking dual nationality. He's American and British which to oh. me is some sort of god-awful monster. I think that actually makes us airstrip one in 1984. So basically, we're an airport, we're a landing pad, we're Heathrow, that's it, you know, just tarmac oh the rest boy. of it. Oh um, tarmac, the last flower, there's an image and whatnot. Um, so yeah, uh, it's, it's, a really weird, it's a really weird thing with the guns. And 
Columbine, I think, hit places like the UK and obviously Europe, where we're, let's say, gun shy, um, that hit us really hard because it was like, that's a really horrible, nasty thing to happen. But across the decades, and obviously since Columbine, that was kind of my point with the book, especially, um, even though I was sticking my neck out somewhat, there's been loads of those incidents anyway, let alone we start talking about things like Black Lives Matter, um, where there's a load of um, black teenagers on their own in the street, happen to be wearing a hoodie, as loads of people, adults and children do, white or black or whatever, and um, getting shot because they look funny or they look suspicious or they didn't show their face. Um, so the, the, the usage and application of guns, especially by, um, I think, sometimes citizens who are trying to enforce the law through civil liberties, you know, there's that thing about not relying upon the police force, about independence uh, and, and, and freedom to protect property. Um, that, gets in, that gets into some scary, scary territory there. Of course, yeah, of course. Um, I'm already on a limb, aren't I? But I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying, before it gets hacked off, it's like, um, uh, you know, people um, using guns as an extension of democracy. And um, following for Columbine, you know, 99 was a really, that was such an influential and like deep searching film, you know, that um, basically an unemployed, depressed guy from, I believe, Flint, Michigan, um, sort of said like oh this is a really interesting situation we should look at this again got off his ass and just like made this really great in your face documentary and he basically sort of points the camera at people instead of a gun bear with me on this and says why 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 and marilyn manson who i don't necessarily admire that much as an individual i like some of his music but he's not my favorite person not um, not in recent years although that hit <laughs> That new album yeah. is really good. We are chaos, by the way. But yes, in recent I years, he's that. he's been a bit of a on his own downward spiral. But um, sure, I, I yeah, love mechanical animals, um, which um, Sean Bevan, who worked on Spiral, um, also produced. He produced a lot of great records, by the way. Um, yeah. But mechanical animals is like you know Manson does Bowie. It's great fun, really great glam rock revitalized. Sure, anyway, sure. Um, Manson's the most lucid, normal, insightful compassionate empathetic person that he's the most human uh and you know like um when they walk into the bank with the kid in the wheelchair and the other guy and it's like yeah we've got your bullets i think it's to walmart or target same fucking thing yeah right? walmart he goes well, you, you can't buy guns at target but you can at walmart yeah ironic ironic um target don't do yeah. guns <laughs> yeah. and um they go in there and it's like, we'd like to return the bullets. And it's, it's stupid, it's ridiculous, but it's also like, wham, there's your sucker punch. This is your confrontation with um, the results of violence and the, the, the guns you have to protect from the people with guns have actually been turned against your children. And um, like, I think like you said, people don't necessarily want to acknowledge that truth or they say, yeah, but, and they'll just live in denial of it. Right. You know, guns for the sake of guns. Um, and so that, that in itself is um, what we call in philosophy, it's a, a, like an infinite regress. It just keeps fucking going. You know, yeah, but I need my gun. I need my gun. I need my gun. And for me, on an external basis, it's kind of like, you need guns because everyone else has guns. 
it's really difficult. And then you throw into it with the album, um, in all fairness to Trent, I don't think he was necessarily trying to make a really insightful argument about gun control per se, because at the time he was actually criticizing, um, you know, emergent gangster rap and stuff. I always, how, I mean, I, what, how I read, guns. I'm sorry, you continue. I don't mean to interrupt you. Adam. No, no, it's cool. It's cool. Um, um, but I mean, it's just, that seemed to, that seemed to be his angle. I don't necessarily buy it a bit like, um, things with the Manson house. He's sort of like, Oh yeah, I didn't really know. Him. I was like, okay, fine. Sure. You didn't. Um, but it's not for me to say. And a bit like with the gun thing, it's, but what he does nail down, I think in the songs specifically is, um, the really insipid, intolerant, bloody-minded, uh, toxic masculinity expression of the gun conflated with um, masculine pride. And, you know, basically the gun as, um, oh, how do I put this? <laughs> Maybe it's better in the book, who knows? Um, uh, the gun um, conflated as uh, the penis, you know, and it's like, I fuck you with a gun, I fuck you with my dick. You know, either way, I'm a big fucking hard guy and I'm scary but I'm also highly sexualized and you should fear and admire me and it's like what's what's wrong with these people but it's interesting because it carries over that thing of um the the man machine sort of complex and obviously these people a lot of them if you took away the gun they would kind of be nothing they would just be an angry ranting person obviously they'd take straight to the internet that's what it's for but uh <laughs> yeah it's a scary thought but yeah sorry Eric What were you going to say? Oh, no, I was just going to just uh, thank you for that chapter on Big Man with a Gun, because that's always kind of the written off song. I know we we wrote it off when we reviewed it. It's really short. <laughs> well, it's short, and it's just kind of... It's not nine inches. Shock, yeah. song. No, it's about three inches, and it's it's shock value for shock value's sake in a way, but I think... Well, the way the way I read your chapter was, yeah, it is it is mostly talking about toxic masculinity. It just also was a good moment to throw some shade on the emerging gangster rap and the misogyny in that as well. So I think it was a little bit of mm. both. Although I do remember even at the time reading an interview with Trent and he's like, yeah, I love gangster rap, but I think I need to call out that, that you know, in, in all forms of culture. Yeah, so. yeah. And it's, and it's really interesting because you have an almost perfect album and it must be kind of painful that you sort of have a, let's say, even just say musically, you have a vaguely dud track and you're like, why did I put that on there? <laughs> Yeah, and I, I really yeah. feel for him, you know, but, yeah. but perhaps it's necessary. It's necessary to have, you know, a little guitar blast out, you know, for the sake of it and fucking get something off your chest. I mean, yeah. maybe that's what music is for. If it's not for that, then what the hell is it for? Yeah. Well, hey, uh, we're we're coming up on our time here, but I, I, sure. I, there, there is so much stuff in this book to nerd out on that I didn't even get to because it was more like, oh, it was cool when you talked about how they used a sample from Leviathan in this song, or it was cool, like all the little nitty gritty things you get into and your interviews with people that were involved in the album or, or mm. what you got out of those. Um, so much cool stuff. I think we got to some of the more meteor talking points, which I appreciate. Um, <laughs> but just as a fan of the album, there is so much on every page to nerd out about. It's a cornucopia of, uh, of fun, fun factoids. Um, so I guess I would ask you, if you could do another book like this for another album, Nine Inch Nails or otherwise, 
what would be some some things you dive into? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and another album or another band or 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 just like yeah, right. another you Nine Inch Nails album, just anything. So, something you'd give the same treatment to. It could be another Nine Inch Nails album. Could be another band's album that you like. Um, sure, sure. And, and that I I loved almost equally <laughs> on yeah. a pedestal and whatnot. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a really hard one do you know what i was really struck by um the bloke you had on talking about his diamond dogs book because i really love diamond dogs um i bought the lp recently it's a reissue it's a red red vinyl slinky um but i love the artwork and everything i love the weird concept but i always thought it was like a really underrated album but anyway he's done the book on that but i loved it when you're talking into you and um he's like oh i'd maybe do one on scary monsters and i was like that's a really interesting idea because i was like surely you can't write a book on scary monsters because there's not not because it's 10 songs but i was like there's not much to it, but I oh know it's 11 songs, but I mean, there's a reprise, whatever. But I mean, I was like, is there enough to write a book on there? Cause like the downward spiral, there was so much stuff to tap into. And it really like has its entrails all through interesting, like you say, weird little rabbit holes. And you're like, what the fuck? I never thought of that connection uh, or non-connection, you know, things that didn't happen. But I was like, scary monsters. I really wonder. And I was like, fuck, if he's not going to write it, maybe I'll nick that idea and do that. Um, <laughs> I've said it now, I've probably legalized myself. That's but, right. Um, no, I, I kind of thought, um, but I thought that was a great idea. I was like, someone should write that. And I also was like, um, a few people said to me, oh, do you think you'll do the fragile? And I was like, it's not for me to say it's for the next generation or someone else who really, really loves the fragile. But that would be a cool book. I don't really know what you'd say about it, but I like to think that there's someone who loves that album really intensely uh, and could really do a great job. So I'd love to, someone, I'd love to see someone do that just as like, a little tribute to Nin because it's like it's really great and it's really different from the down spiral it's a great like step um yeah. in the Nin pantheon Nin who says Nin anyway um, <laughs> I, I do when I think... write it when I write it but not so much when I say it <laughs> I'd really like to do um something on uh a relatively obscure um John Frusciante solo album so the guitarist for the Red Hot Chili Peppers sure sure um currently still the guitarist again after quitting twice um so third time's a charm uh and um <laughs> he has an, a solo album from 2001 so they did the comeback album so to speak californication mm -hmm. in 99 mm -hmm. which i love because that was kind of my generation of um rock music i was that's literally when i was kind of like 15 and um uh so i love that album but in 2001 he did an album called um to record only water for 10 days and it's a really interesting kind of lo-fi electronic folk album and it's really personal and introspective and um kind of mellow and deep but also quite abrasive um and it just has these really great songs that some of them are like two minutes but there's so much depth and obviously he's such a great guitarist but he's a really underrated um arranger so like whatever you think of the chili peppers if you look at an album like by the way he embellished it with so many great like vocal harmonies and organs and like little electronica elements. And that album was 2003, but it kind of stems from uh, To Recall Any Water. So if anyone hasn't heard that, I really recommend that as an album to check out. It's a really like kind of like hidden gem. And I'm kind of like, who wants to read a book about that? But then I'm also like, I fucking love that album. You know, by writing the book, maybe I can inspire people um, to listen to it and maybe they might sort of share some of my passion with it but maybe it's good that it's an obscure thing you know there's a nice thing about 
um, hidden gems with music and only a few people know about it and only a few people get it so to speak and that's that's okay it's kind of what it was meant for it does its thing and that's all right it doesn't have to sell a million but then also i'd really like to write something on uh, nick cave um i loved his um recent trilogy of albums uh so from like push the sky away skeleton tree sure. and the ghostine record um completely like moved away from the traditional nick cave and the bad seeds thing of you know like creepy eerie pseudo gothic spooky drug addled ballads and stuff and he's clean and he's so much older and he's seeing the world like really clearly and it's very dark obviously with what happened to him with the death of his son but he works through he he goes with you through almost like on a journey bear with me uh like on a journey no i, I, he, I worry. he kind of works through um yeah. grief yeah, uh, he, he was almost our season three choice. So, yeah, he was... Oh, he was okay. Close, I'm really excited to, to see what season three is going to be, actually. I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, Nick Hay would be good. But that's huge. So many albums. But I really... Because I'm like a later generation fan, I really kind of love some of the classic stuff. Um, like The Mercy Seat, which apparently he plays at every gig, which is hilarious. Um, but it's so he good. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, those, those most recent three albums, I fucking love those so much. Like, oh, yeah. they really spoke to me, even though I haven't had his kind of experiences. But what was great is he, he touched upon the universal nature of grief that comes to us in all kinds of ways, eventually at different times in our lives. We all lose people, basically. And um, he makes that um, a thing that you can reflect upon and move on from and you don't have to forget it and deny it and be ashamed and apologize to be sad um but you can see um a new kind of life without that person which at one time might have seemed impossible sorry i really riffed on that but i just um yeah yeah those those kind of records they just really inspire me but i guess it's kind of like people's you know very personal intimate journeys and they put it out in the music which is to be blunt, you know, very brave. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I, yeah, I look forward to what you do next. Um, and I, you know, I follow you on, on Twitter, so I'm sure, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see, I'll see whatever's on next on the horizon for you. Um, do you have anything else Ooh, to, to plug before we sign off today? Uh, only two books I know of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, I don't think so, but, um, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for your time. And thank you for your, Thank you for your questions. Like it's it's really nice to talk to people who read the book and enjoyed it. Obviously, it's so nice to hear, as opposed to like I hated it. Um, but also, just you know, it yeah, it gave people something to think about because you don't just want to like say the record does this, the record does that. Um, I really right. wanted to do something a little bit different and try and go a little bit further and stretch myself and maybe stretch the the attention and interest of the reader um so it's really nice yeah it's really nice um that you got something from it and i you know i really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me as well because it's so it's so fun to talk about your work you know yeah well no i i pleasure is all mine thank you it was a it was a good read and a good good conversation uh so thank you check out into the never by adam steiner and uh while you're at it why don't you just grab yourself a crisp copy of uh you know the politics of the asylum as well (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's out there somewhere in the ether yes um, 
So when when do you announce season three? When's that? Oh, happening? it's it, the episode literally dropped while we were talking, so it's out there now. And if you oh, stay wow. on, if you stay on, I'll give you a little a little sneak peek. <laughs> okay. Cool. Cool. Hey, thank you so much for listening. This was a really fun interview, and I demand uh, every subscriber of the show go out and, and check out that book, Into the Never. Massive thank you to Adam Steiner for being on this episode and for writing that great book. Um, I hope you enjoyed this little uh, bonus in between seasons. As you've seen, we've re- reported what our format for season three is going to be, and you should be expecting that very soon. But in the meantime, if you miss us and don't know what to do with yourself without new episodes, why don't you just go back, start a re-listen. Go back to season one, episode one, and and power through all over again. Um, It will be as much fun, if not more, the second time. Uh, But seriously, thanks for listening. Uh, This is Eric Anderson, and uh, we will see you in season three.